Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee for Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. And when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? He said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that we can come into worship, that we can sing your praises, that you are our God and that we are your people, Lord, and that we have communion with you. Lord, I ask that you would open our eyes and our ears, Lord, that we might Uh, behold you this morning, that we might see you, Lord, that our lives might be affected by that. Lord, we thank you and praise you. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a person that likes a story, whether a book or a movie, to have a nice, satisfying conclusion, a nice, neat, happy ending. I like it when the hero slays the dragon and saves the princess and they live happily ever after. I like it in those sports movies where the team that's not supposed to win, the underdog, comes back and wins the great game and beats Goliath. I like the stories where the heroes end up saving the day and everything is well at the end. Now the book of Jonah, I must be clear, is not a story in the sense uh, that it's fiction. It's given to us in the Bible as historical narrative But I've often wished that it would end after chapter 3. We we remember chapter 3. I I preached on chapter 3 not too long ago, but remember what happened there. Jonah, the prophet who had rebelled and run away, was taken back to Nineveh, and he came to proclaim the word of the Lord. And he proclaimed the word, and and something amazing happened, happened. The whole city repented. The whole city believed in God. They put on sackcloths and ashes. They turned to the Lord in faith. We read in chapter 3, verse 10, at the end of chapter 3, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He said He would do to them, and He did not do it. 
You see, the rebellious prophet was finally obedient to God's command. And the word of God went out with great power. And this nation humbled themselves and turned to God. This is probably the greatest revival, the greatest turning to the Lord in all of history. And yet this wasn't the climax of the story. It's not how it ends. We, we have this chapter 4 here that takes us in a completely different direction. Rather than looking at the, the people of Nineveh and being amazed by this, we're left with Jonah, this sulking, angry prophet who's outside the city wishing to die, wishing the vengeance and anger of the Lord to come down upon Nineveh. This is strange. What's going on? What's this chapter here for? Well, our passage shows us that while Jonah failed to be merciful, God displays unexpected mercy to undeserving people without apology. We'll see this as we walk through our passage. We'll, we'll break it into really two halves. We'll look at verses 1 through 5, and here we're going to look at Jonah's angry accusation. What's Jonah saying? Why is he so mad? And what's he saying about God? Next, we'll look through verses 6 through 11, where Jonah goes into the desert and learns a, a lesson from God as God teaches him through some miraculous things that happen in the desert. We see God pry open Jonah's heart, leaving it exposed so that we can see on one side the angry prophet's heart, and on the other side, our merciful God and Savior and who he is. You see, what we see is that Jonah shows us the costliness of grace. It's not always convenient. It's not always clean or neat. And yet God chooses to display unexpected mercy to undeserving people without apology. Look with me at verse 1. It says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now, this is a very strong statement, um, but the Hebrew brings it out even more. If you're following along in a Bible, um, you might see a little number four after the word exceedingly. That shows you that there's a footnote at the bottom of the page. And, and at the bottom of the page, we, re we read this. Hebrew, it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. So what Jonah was witnessing as he saw the mercy of God, as he saw the compassion of God, he wasn't just angry, he saw it as an evil. He saw it as an affront to mankind. It disgusted him. He burned with anger. He was incensed. He was kindled by the mercy that he saw before him. You see, in Jonah's mind, the Ninevites were an evil people, and they weren't worth saving. They had had their chance, and they had failed. They deserved God's justice. Not his mercy. They deserved his anger, not his compassion. They deserved his wrath, not his grace. You see, Jonah looked at this situation and he was enraged. And the question we have to ask is why? Shouldn't Jonah be rejoicing at, at God's great grace and desire to see this nation of people come to the Lord? Shouldn't he be amazed at God's promise to Abraham that all the nations of the world would be blessed through God's people, through the message of God is coming to pass, that through his word, the city turned. Shouldn't Jonah be amazed at the grace of God and desire to see the whole world showered 
in this grace. So why is Jonah so angry? What we see is Jonah is angry because he understands the situation. He knows how this affects himself. He knows how it affects his country. And he knows how it affects God's reputation in the world. Jonah isn't exercising biblical wisdom here, but he's not a simpleton. It's not like he doesn't know what's happening in front of his eyes. And so in a prayer, in an angry prayer, he comes to God with an accusation. Like a prosecuting lawyer, Jonah comes to God accusing him of showing too much mercy, of showing too much grace, because doesn't God know what will happen? Look with me at verses 2 and 3. It says, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said to you when I was in my country? That is why I made haste to flee for Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. See, Jonah sees what God has done here as something that affects him personally. You see that in his language, he uses the words I or me or my eight times in that little section. And so Jonah is focusing on this as as it affects him. And if you think about it, when Jonah went into Nineveh, what was the message that he proclaimed? He said, in 40 days, the city will be destroyed. We don't hear that that there's a chance that it won't. He's claiming that it will be destroyed. And now God, in his mind, is backing out on him and leaving him open to the claim that he's a false prophet. He had said that this destruction would happen. But what's interesting is that Jonah says that he knew that God would do this. He says, I knew, didn't I say this when I was in my country? Isn't this why I ran away? I knew that you would do this. He knew that when God calls a people to repentance and he, and he shows his wrath, that it's conditional. That God is a God who, who calls people to repent. He calls people to turn from their evil ways and turn to God as their maker and Lord. How did Jonah know this? Well, If you look back a few books in the the book of Joel, he's another prophet in the Old Testament. And just listen to Joel's words. He's telling Israel, he's speaking to Israel and saying, the day of the Lord is coming and my wrath is coming upon you. But listen to what he says here in Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, And rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent? And so we hear the same words that Jonah was saying to God here in Joel. But the the point is clear that that God desires people to turn and to repent. And what's ironic about this is that this is what was supposed to be happening in Israel. Israel, the people that God had saved and redeemed and brought out of Egypt, they were the ones that were called to rend their hearts before the Lord. And they weren't doing it. But Jonah goes out to Nineveh, to the city in Assyria, to the capital of Assyria. 
And with just this simple message, 40 days and be destroyed, they all repent. They put on sackcloth. They put on ashes. We see the exact thing that Joel had commanded them to do in Israel. We see it happening there in Nineveh. How this must have burned Jonah, whose ministry had been in Israel. Why wasn't, why wasn't Israel responding like this? And why is this pagan nation responding like this? We see also that, that Jonah is angry. He's exceedingly angry and sees this as evil because of Israel and what this means for his nation. The, 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 Israel was in a, in a great time. They were in a second golden age. And Jonah had prophesied that Israel would do well and economically would do well. And it was expanding its borders. But it was bumping into this northern nation, this northern nation of Assyria, Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. And so they're enemies of God's people. And, and they're just to the north. And the Israelites look up and there is fear of the Assyrians. And so God says, I'm going to destroy this city. I mean, this would be great. If only God would destroy Nineveh, that would be great for Israel. It would be fantastic. Then they wouldn't have to do it. They wouldn't have to worry about them. But God doesn't. God relents. God doesn't turn in his anger and wrath towards Nineveh. And in fact, we, we know from history that 50, 60 years later, God was going to use this nation of Assyria through the capital of Nineveh to wipe out the northern tribes of Israel. That by protecting Nineveh and keeping Nineveh on the map, this was going to be terrible for Jonah's people Israel. But we see another thing that, that causes Jonah to be exceedingly angry with God here. And that's, he, he says, God, look, this is bad. For your own reputation. Now, this is an interesting statement. Um, and so I'd like to use a little illustration. It, it, let's say you're a third grade teacher. And you tell the class that I, I have these rules. And one of my rules is if you disrupt the class, um, you're going to miss some recess. And so one of the students, um, little boy, decides that he's not going to do his homework, but he's going to take that piece of paper and fold it into a paper airplane, stand on his desk and throw it across the room. Uh, let's, let's all just agree that this is disruptive for the class. And the teacher was going to look at that third grader and say, you know the rules. The rules say that if you disrupt the class, you're going to have to miss recess. But this third grader understands that recess is probably the best time of the day. Maybe second to lunch only. But this is the best time of the day. And they begin to weep and they begin to cry and they're carrying on. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I won't do it again. And a compassionate teacher is going to look at that student and maybe say, it's okay. I see that you're really sorry. I'm not going to keep you in for recess. You can continue to have that recess. Now, all of us understand that third graders will be third graders. Well, People will be people. And if this child receives this grace, they're, they're not being held accountable for their behavior. And maybe they'll be okay for a while, but soon in the next assignment, they're going to fold it into a paper airplane again and disrupt the class. So you see, by threatening punishment, but then relenting, the teacher has disowned their own standard. That their students aren't being held accountable for their behaviors and that this child isn't actually going to learn or change their behavior in the future. And I, this is the accusation that Jonah is saying to God. 
But ironically, Jonah's accusation centers around God's own words about himself in verse 2. He says, you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now, we, we heard this in Psalm 103 in our assurance of pardon this morning. We heard it in Joel not too long ago. But the first place we hear these words is in Exodus 34. And this would have been very familiar to any Israelite. Um, Let's get our minds in that place. Remember, Israel had come to Mount Sinai to receive the word of the Lord, to receive God's law. And God had descended on the mountain in smoke, in lightning, in thunder. And everything was just awesome. And the presence of God came down on the mountain and the people shook in fear. And the mountain itself trembled as God was there. Moses went up to speak with God, but while he was up there, remember what happened. The Israelites, under the watchful eye of God, turned from him and said, Aaron, make for us a golden calf. Make for us idols that we may worship. And he did. And under, right there, in the power of God's presence displayed, we see the people turned in idolatry. And God said, I will destroy these people. But Moses interceded, reminded God of his covenant love. And God relented of the disaster of which he spoke. Later in the climactic moment in this context, God reveals his glory to Moses and reveals his name. Remember what he said. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so here we, have, we see parallels between the Israelites and the Ninevites the Jews, and the Gentiles. You see, both had earned God's wrath through what they had done. God said that He would bring His judgment in both cases. But then, God didn't carry it out because He is a God that is slow to anger, merciful, and gracious. See, for Moses, this drove him to his knees in in worship of God. But for, for Jonah... How does he respond? How does he react? He's an incensed prophet that says, God, you're doing wrong. These people don't deserve your grace. They don't deserve your mercy. It's going to be bad for me. It's going to be bad for Israel. It's going to be bad for you. You need to wipe them out. He even goes so far as to say, take me. If you're going to let them live, take my life from me. Let me die. Good that God is God and that I am not. Because I may have taken him up on that offer. How could this audacious man say this about God in view of his mercy? Perhaps we can relate. Perhaps if we we take a step back. Let's just take a step back from Jonah's situation and ask the question, what should Jonah have done? Where should his heart have been? Well, we have Nineveh, a nation that's just turned to the Lord and believe God. But they don't know anything about God. They don't have His Word. What do they need? They need a prophet. They need someone to come and provide instruction. They need someone to come tell them what they're to do and how they're to live and who this great God is that has saved them. But Jonah wasn't interested in helping them. He was more interested in standing up for his personal, national, and theological interests. He grew angry and defensive. 
I mean, how do we react if we see the culture around us shifting? I know that when I feel the culture closing in around me, I tend to get angry and defensive. When we feel the culture shifting, do we desire more that God would save and show His mercy or that God would crush and destroy in His anger? Do we go out to unbelievers and to an ungodly society with the message of God's grace in Jesus Christ? Or do we sit outside hiding from those who need to hear the gospel most? See, God's wrath is coming. That there is a day when the Lord will come and justice will be done and the wrath that was averted at Nineveh will will occur. But today, there is hope for all. There is hope for the unbeliever. Do we truly desire to see God's mercy and grace poured out on His undeserving enemies? See, in anger, Jonah preferred to await the wrath of God. Jonah didn't want to live in this world. Now, one thing that I find just amazing about who our God is is the way that He deals with His people, the way that He works with His people. Here's Jonah, angry, yelling at God in prayer, And what does God do? He doesn't come in a whirlwind. He doesn't come and say, who do you think you are? But instead, he just asks him this simple question. Do you do well to be angry? He doesn't at once humble Jonah. Now, notice that Jonah, he doesn't answer in words, but but his deeds speak louder than words. He, He just leaves town and he goes and he puts up a shack. And he's sitting to the east of the city, waiting, hoping that God will pour out his anger. His, his anger upon them. And, and he, he's thinking, I'm right. I know I'm right. And God's going to catch up. And God's going to do what's right eventually. However, God is gracious to his prophet. And he doesn't leave him there alone. But he pursues him. He comes to him. Now, it's interesting because God doesn't speak until the end. But God's going to out, lay out three providential acts here to help open up Jonah's heart and help him and us understand what's wrong with his anger. Praise God that he is slow to anger and treats his people far better than we deserve. That he doesn't disown us when we're angry or throwing a tantrum, but works in us to show us our faults and to humble us of our pride. See, Jonah, or God doesn't immediately tell Jonah his problem, but he's going to show it to him in the desert where we see Jonah's heart revealed and God's mercy upheld. You see, God does this by unfolding a series of events and then seems to look back and watch Jonah learn this message from the Lord. In verse 6, we read, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that he might have shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Now, a few things I want to notice is uh, we see that God appointed this plant. This is God's providential act in nature. We've seen it all through the story of Jonah. We saw God uh, come in the storm. When Jonah ran away, the storm turned him around. We see God appoint a fish to come and swallow Jonah and protect Jonah. We see God end the storm when Jonah's thrown off. We see God speak to the fish and and the fish threw Jonah up onto dry land. And here we see God appoint a plant. So God's acting providentially. Now, we don't know what kind of plant it is, but it's going to provide him shade. And God provides the best plant in the perfect spot, perfect time. It comes up and it gives Jonah shade. And notice how Jonah reacts. 
He's exceedingly glad. You'll notice that this is the opposite of verse 1, where he's exceedingly displeased or angry with God at the grace that he's showing to Nineveh. And here, Jonah is exceedingly glad on the opposite end of the spectrum because of this plant that's giving him shade. However, this joy is short-lived because we see in the next verses that God appoints other things in nature. God appoints the worm, and it comes and eats the plant, and it withers and dies. Uh, And then, when the sun comes up, God appoints a scorching east wind to come and to to dry Jonah out. And so Jonah is in this precarious situation. He's out in the desert. You can imagine it. He's in this little hut. He's crying because his plant has died, and, and it's windy, and he's getting dried out, and the sun is beating down on him, and he's getting dehydrated, and he's to the point of death. And he's angry. In verse 9, God breaks his silence. And he asks nearly the same question that he had asked in verse 4. That do you do well to be angry for the plant? Notice it's the same question, basically, that God had asked earlier. And so in God's God's sight, Jonah's heart hasn't changed at all. It's in the same place. But now we can see it a little bit more clearly. See, God asked, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And then God gives us the diagnosis of Jonah's heart in verse 10. He says, you pity the plant for which you didn't labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and then perished in a night. So Jonah's heart is bent on an insignificant plant. He didn't earn it. And it had only temporary value. And you didn't make it grow. Came into being in one night and perished in a night. You didn't labor for it. What are you doing? See, he saw God's compassion as exceedingly evil. And the shade of the plant is exceedingly good. And he's accusing God of being mixed up. Now, one of the things that's interesting is some, some translations, when it says you pity the plant, um, another word for that is compassion. So you have compassion for the plant. And this is a word that comes to us as a compound word. Uh, Come means with, and passion means to suffer. And so we can look and we can say that Jonah is willing to suffer with the plant. The plant is dead and it's withered and it's dried out. And that's how Jonah is reacting, that, that he can have compassion for that plant and feel what that plant is feeling. See, the plant occupied the place in Jonah's heart that the Ninevites should have had. The good thing is that Jonah wasn't the savior of Nineveh, but God was. That God's heart went out to Nineveh where Jonah's would not. And this is apparent in verse 11. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? So we see where Jonah's heart goes out to this plant, this insignificant plant, God pities the souls of 120,000 persons. He even adds mercy to the cattle. Did you see that? That there are also many cattle there, which is far more valuable than the shrub even. See, while Jonah's heart pitied something something that he didn't labor for or earn, God is the creator and sustainer of all life. Own the inhabitants of that city of Nineveh. They belong to God. As Jonah's heart went out to the plant, that had a very short lifespan. God pitied the souls that would, that would endure for eternity in Nineveh. Was Jonah really in a position 
to accuse God of having misplaced priorities? And thus the book ends. We do not hear if Jonah got the message and repented or if he stayed angry. We do not know what happened to the, that generation of would-be believers or the generation of God-believers in Nineveh. We don't know. We do know that eventually, like I said, they're going to come against Israel. But we don't know what happened to these ones. Instead, the narrative ends with God's devastating rhetorical question to Jonah. God rests his case. Jonah is silent. God's incredible mercy to Nineveh wins the day. Now, if Jonah was the hero of this story, it would not be a very satisfying conclusion. See, the prophet that God used to bring about the greatest revival in history is sitting defeated on a hillside, humbled to the point of death. In his blind rage and hatred for the people God sent him to save, Jonah failed. He suffered for the plant, but refused to suffer for the Ninevites. Nineveh needed a greater Savior than Jonah. We need a greater Savior than Jonah. A Savior that would choose to show grace to Nineveh and choose to show His grace even to an angry prophet. We need a God that is willing to suffer with His people. And this is what we see thinking of a God who comes to us in mercy and grace, should help us to focus not on Jonah, but on Jesus Christ. See, he didn't refuse God's call, but laid aside his position in heaven. He came to a wicked and rebellious humanity, put on flesh and dwelt among us. He came not just to proclaim the word of God, but to come as the incarnate word of God. Jesus didn't refuse his father's commission, but joyfully submitted In obedience, Jesus didn't leave the city to brood in bitterness and hatred towards sinners. But he left the city with the cross to go die for those he came to save. He didn't sit waiting and hoping that the wrath of God would come down on them. But he took the wrath of God upon himself as he died on the cross to save us from our sins. When we look at the book of Jonah, May we be reminded that God provided a greater Jonah, a true Savior in Jesus Christ. That we serve a God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, in abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. May we never cease to marvel at this. Praise our God who who has come and shown us great mercy, though we don't deserve it. Shown us great grace because He loves us. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.